Psalm chapter 13, we're going to read the full psalm. And I invite you to stand out of respect for God's word. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I'm shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. You may be seated. Let's pray. Dear Lord, the grass withers, the flower fades, but your word abides forever. We have heard your word um, read, and now we turn to hear it proclaimed. Lord, we pray that you would speak clearly to us, apply to our hearts what we need to apply. For you are wiser than us, Lord, and you work through your word in mysterious ways. May you open this text to our eyes, to our ears, and to our hearts. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. Waiting is hard. Waiting is really, really hard. Maybe you've experienced this even the past week. You waited on the road trip to get to your families for that nice Thanksgiving meal. And the kids started saying, are we there yet? Are we there yet? And you start to realize yourself, wow, it's really hard to wait when you're en route to a destination. Especially when you're excited to see family and enjoy the, the joys of a Thanksgiving meal. And then you sit down around the table and it's hard to wait for that turkey as you smell, you know, it cooking in the oven. Is is it ready yet? Is the turkey ready? Not yet. Not yet. Just wait. Wait patiently. We know how hard waiting can be with even more serious examples, right? Waiting on cancer to go into remission. Waiting to see whether it will. Waiting for wounds to heal. Maybe wounds inflicted by someone dear and close to us, waiting to see how a long process of physical recovery will go, waiting patiently for Christ to return. I told you uh, weeks ago when we came to uh, that definitive point at the end of Luke chapter 21, that we are going to take a break from the gospel of Luke for a month. And then we're going to come back to it in January. But I wanted us to spend the month of December, end of November through December, really focusing on waiting on Christ's return. He's told us he's coming. He's given us a prayer at the end of the book of Revelation. You'll come, Lord Jesus. But until then, we're put in that hot seat, that pressure cooker of saying, okay, we have to wait. We have to wait patiently. We have to endure. 
And that's what we're going to focus on through three key psalms this week. And then when Pastor Brad preaches next week, and then when I'm back in the pulpit in week three, as we await for the Lord's coming, as we await for our celebration of Christmas. As some of you are saying, you know, I, as I see even festive Christmas clothes being donned already, look, this psalm is too dreary for us. Are you really going to make us wait for the joys of Christmas? I already have my tree up. You know, I already have you know, the place, my, my home decorated. Are you really going to make me wait to celebrate Christmas? And uh, the answer is, is, is kind of yes. Yeah. We're going to start with, with some of these psalms that, that just you know, open wide the raw places that our souls can be. And then we're going to go step by step and closer by closer each Sunday towards the joys of the celebration of Christ's coming. But of course, we don't really have to wait to celebrate Christmas because I, I, I think you'll see by the end of this text that even this psalm, Psalm 13, leads us to a celebration of Christmas right here and right now. We're going to see this first by looking at the sigh of distress that we hear in this psalm. And then we're going to hear the song of hope that arises by the end of this psalm. And you hear the sigh of distress. You can't miss it because you hear it four, four times crying out of the psalm, leaping off the page. How long, oh Lord? Four times the psalmist David expresses this desperate groan. Four times we hear that haunting cry of a man who's just at the end of his rope. How long, oh Lord? How long is this going to take? I don't know if I can make it much longer. This is indeed the psalm. This psalm is is itself the sigh of someone who is tired of waiting. For years, years of his life, some estimate 13 years, David was on the run from King Saul. And his army, not because of anything he'd done, but David was scrambling to escape Saul and and certainly to escape the threat of death because of a king, a petty king who was jealous that God had set his favor upon David. And David, on the run from King Saul, uh, spent even months of his life in a cave in the wilderness, a cave of darkness. And perhaps it's out of that pressure cooker, out of that dark situation, um, certainly something like it, that David starts to express his thoughts and write them down in a psalm that we have before us. You can almost hear the words, you know, the, the question, how long, O Lord? Echoing in a dark cave, bouncing off the, wor- off the walls in the middle of a desert while that sorry excuse for a king sits on his throne, jealous but thriving, while David languishes and says, how long shall my enemy be exalted over me? And then an even darker thought crosses David's mind as this psalm is echoing off the cavern walls. 
What if this situation is actually going to last forever? What if this is the new normal? What if this is the way that my life will be from here on out? You know, that's a paralyzing dread that, that, you know, when maybe you've experienced that when the thought finally sets in, this situation I'm going through, this trial, it might just kill me. It might just be the end of me. That's where David is as he lays out these thoughts in his psalm. And all of this pressure explodes into this question. How long? I don't know if I can take it anymore. This isn't the, the how long until we get to grandma's house for Thanksgiving meal. This isn't the, you know, how how long until the turkey's ready? It's not just a point of information that David's asking for. It's actually, you know, this cry erupting from a soul. It's actually an expression of deep feeling. When's this going to end? And I don't need a, I don't need a, a, a date and a time. Can you relate to this? You relate to this psalm, this cry of the soul? What are you tired of waiting for? What are you tired of waiting on? What makes you sigh? How long, oh Lord? Is it a, a sin that you, you say, another, another Thanksgiving has passed and I'm still dealing with this same struggle? Lord, how long until this is put to rest? How long until I actually have victory over this thing that's, that's a setback to my full enjoyment of you? Or maybe it's, it's pain in the body. You know, the aches and pains. Another year passing, you say, how long is this going to last? Do I have to deal with this for another day? No one can figure this out. Or maybe you look around, you, you watch the news. You see the craziness erupting around our world and you say, how long until your kingdom comes, Lord? How long until you set straight what is crooked? How long until you bring justice? True justice, not justice like the world tries to patch together, but but the kind of justice that you bring. You know, we, we long for that. Those kind of things make us sigh. And if you're not there yet, I, I think there will be a time, not long, until you find yourself sighing. But there's one step deeper into the darkness of this psalm that we need to take. One step deeper into the sigh of distress, and it's this, that this psalm is the sigh of someone who is tired of waiting for God. You hear that? David is tired of waiting, but his deepest distress is actually coming from this. The most painful part of of all of his experience is the feeling that God isn't listening. And so he says, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? You see, David is going right to the heart of his distress. and, And I imagine... I've actually heard from many people that this is the hardest part of going through a time of darkness. It's the feeling that we could call spiritual desertion. 
The early church fathers penned that phrase, spiritual desertion. Have you ever felt that? When a, a, a darkness is upon you, sometimes you can't even explain why. But God feels incredibly distant. And your prayers feel like they're hitting the ceiling. And it doesn't matter how hard you, you, you pray, how, how often you turn to the scriptures, but this prolonged season just goes on and on and on in which God feels incredibly distant. Now that happens to a lot of people. You are not alone. Some of um, the greatest hymn writers have struggled with this. Some of the greatest preachers have wrestled with this. Charles Spurgeon talked about the darkness that he would wade through as he wrestled and said, God, where are you? The hymn writer, William Cowper, wrote of many hymns out of, out of this sense of a spiritual desertion, feeling abandoned by God. And friends, once again, if you can't think of a time um, when you felt this way, Unless the Lord Jesus Christ comes soon, I, I'd wager that you will experience something like this before you go to see the Lord. A darkness of the soul that you can't explain. A distance from your God that you can't explain. And so you say, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Well, the first piece of good news in this psalm is this. You're saying, okay, give us the good news. Here it is. This is where it starts. It's that scripture does not shame us for this kind of sigh. Scripture actually invites us. Your God invites you to express these kinds of sighs. Isn't that amazing? Isn't isn't that good news that that sigh that's erupting deep within your soul, that God doesn't push it down or shame you for it and say, well, why would you think a thing like that? God doesn't talk down to you. He actually gives you these words in order to help you start to express what is just rattling around the, the cavern of your soul. The Psalms give us a voice to our deepest frustrations, even those frustrations that we can't even put to words. They give words to the soul that is tired of waiting. And there's actually a, 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 a phrase, there's something we call this, and it's called lament. Lament. That's what people have called this kind of psalm. In fact, one third of all the Psalms are lament psalms. They're just like this. This is one of the darkest um, ones, one of the ones that, that have the deepest size. But many psalms, one third of them, echo with this kind of longing for something and a longing for a, a, a knowing of God and his closeness that is not presently enjoyed. And God gives these to us. You look at Psalm 88. And by the end of Psalm 88, you won't find hardly anything Joyful in the psalm. The entire psalm is dedicated to simply lamenting and giving um, expression to our frustration with waiting upon the Lord. So that the very last words of that psalm, Psalm 88, are this. Darkness has become my only friend. Hello, darkness, my old friend. And that's, and that's it. 
You say, wait, that's where the psalm ends? Yeah. You say, well, how is that in the Bible? Well, here's, here's how it's in the Bible. Because God knows you so well and cares so much about your soul that he gives you words to express what you can't express yourself sometimes. Now, isn't that amazing? And then you see Jesus on the cross crying out a psalm of lament. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Revelation chapter 6. What did we hear the martyrs crying out this morning as Elder Nathan read? How long, O Lord? How long until you bring justice? We've been persecuted. We've been put to death. When are you going to right this wrong? Here they are reaching for the words of the Psalms, reaching for lament and actually uh, finding those words is so appropriate. You see, it's okay, friends, to honestly ask God, how long? Where are you? Why does it feel like you're far away? You can pray that to God. You can sing that to God. He invites you to do it. That's called lament. But notice that the scriptures don't linger there for too long. Scripture doesn't suppress our emotion. It doesn't suppress our deepest feelings, but it also doesn't enthrone them and just, you know, stay there relentlessly, just echoing in the cavern of the cave. No, scripture leads us somewhere. In fact, that's why it starts here. It starts with that sigh of distress because scripture wants to lead us from that sigh of distress to a song of hope. And we see that song of hope start to unravel in verses 3 and all the way to the end of the psalm. Now you look at the end of the psalm and you hear David singing, right? I will sing unto the Lord. Now how did David get there? Because he started off with this haunting cry of the soul, but he ends up singing. Now how do you get from, from, from one place to the next? How do you get there? Well, David actually shows us And what what you need to notice right up front is that what hasn't changed is his circumstances, right? David doesn't start singing because suddenly, okay, you know, whoever his enemy is, Saul or the Philistines or or, or his son Absalom is, is dealt with. No, he's still right in the middle of that cave. He's still in that, that darkness. The darkness hasn't left. It's all around him. It's pressing in on him. That hasn't changed. His circumstances remain the same. But what has changed is that David makes a choice, two choices. And those choices actually show us the biblical pattern for for lament. And the first choice is this. David chooses to move from complaints to requests. He chooses to move from complaints to requests. Verses three through four. You'll notice there's actually a a nice needy rhythm, uh, a a nice neat rhythm to this this psalm. You've got one through two, focus on that, that sigh of distress. And then three through four, lead us forward with the first choice that David makes. And then five through six takes us to that final place, that song of hope. It's, It's actually leading us 
not out of the darkness, but through the darkness. And so we see in verses three through four, the first choice, the choice to move from complaints to requests. And friends, this is simply the first step in biblical lament. I guess it's the second step. First, you sigh that deep sigh of distress. Then the Lord says, you start to actually make specific petitions. Notice that David does that in this song. He starts, he starts off with a bunch of distressing questions. But then in verse three, he says, consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. First request. Here's another one. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. What is David doing? He's actually making his petitions known to God. He's, he's identifying specific ways in which he needs help. Light up my eyes, God. Help me, Lord. Be present to me. I need you. If you're in the middle of a darkness that is pressing in on you, you need to know that this is the difference between a kind of sorrow that just you know, endlessly looks at itself and a sorrow that actually works its way out towards a solution. You know, the Bible talks about sorrow in such a way that we don't just focus endlessly, inwardly on that, that sorrow. But the Bible says, go ahead, go ahead and speak to your sorrow. Go ahead and admit what's deep in your heart. But then you need to turn from the inward outward and you need to speak to God. See what it's doing? It's, it's leading you to look out out of the cave to the sliver of light that's on the, out, on the outside starting to shine in. Because that's exactly what happens when you start to make your requests and your petitions known to God. You're not focused inward, obsessing over your problems, obsessing over the darkness. Instead, you're starting to actually say, Lord, I look to you. Have you started to do that? Have you started to make your requests known to God? Sometimes you actually have to write down what you want to ask God. If you have a friend who's struggling with deep depression or anxiety, you say, how can I help them? Sometimes this is the best way to help them. First of all, to say, guess what? I'm here with you. It's okay. Speak what's on your heart. But then we need to go somewhere with this. Write down, let's speak to God together. Let's actually make our requests known to God. Can you put it into words? Can you tell God what you need? And then you start to turn inward to outward, moving from complaints to requests. And that's where David hits this stride and really starts to move through the darkness, still pressing around him. But verses five through six, he makes a second choice. And this is a key choice. He chooses to move from questions to convictions. So first he moves from complaints to requests and then from questions to convictions in verses five through six. Look what he says. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. What what is David doing? Now he's not even looking in at himself hardly at all anymore. Now, Now his eyes are focused square on the Lord and on what he knows about his character. 
You ever felt when you're walking through a thick darkness or um, maybe you're helping someone walk through a darkness that just won't relent? Uh, Often there's a million questions rattling around someone's mind. Questions like, why is this happening to me? How long is this going to go on for? Um, When is this going to come to an end? What is God up to with this? Lord, why would you do this to me? You know, those questions just rattle around our mind and sometimes you just, you know, it's hard to wade through them. But when a million questions are rattling through your mind, when they are like, you know, uh, bats flying through the cave, you know what you need to do? You need to focus on what you do know. When there's a million things you don't know, there are certain things that you do know. What do we know? David starts to lay out some of these things. We know there's a God. We know he's good. We know his character is is deeply, deeply good and loving. We know that he knows everything about us. And yet still, knowing all of our struggles, he still speaks to us promises in his word. He tells us he's with us. He tells us he knows our sorrow. He tells us that one day he will wipe away all those tears. He tells us that he's never going to leave us. And so Spurgeon, who, as I've said earlier in this sermon, knew this darkness himself, knew it very well, knew the struggle of waiting. Spurgeon said this, when you cannot trace God's hand, You can always trust his heart. I'm going to say that again. When you cannot trace his hand, you can always trust his heart. Maybe you've known that to be the case. Maybe you've already seen what a powerful remedy that is in the midst of of darkness. That you say, Lord, I don't know how long this is going to go on for, but I know who you are. Lord, I, I don't know why this is happening or why you would do this, but, but I know you're a good God. I know that you have my best interest in mind. Lord, I know you're the kind of God, Psalm 139, that you're with me. You're close to me. You're with me through the waiting. You know, I remember when I was a kid and um, I was afraid of the dark. Can you remember when you were afraid of the dark? Maybe you still are. You know, a lot of us, I think, still are. And, uh, you know, you're, you're sitting there in your bed and you see the shadows and you start to ask all kinds of questions. You know, what, where, what is that shadow? Who could that be? And, and you hear maybe a creak. You say, what, where did that come from? Did that come from the closet? Is that under my bed? And of course, you know, maybe you've watched a movie you shouldn't have watched and all those scary thoughts come back and, the, the very worst things start popping up in your mind. What do you need most when all of that is rattling around in your mind and a million questions are scaring you and causing you to pull the covers up? Well, it would be great, wouldn't it, if, if all the lights would just come on and you see, oh, I see what that is. I see what that, what that shadow was. It was nothing. It was, just, it was just the nightstand. But what if there's actually something you need even more than that? I think you know this. Mom or dad coming in, getting near the bed saying, it's okay. 
I'm just, I'm right next to you. You're safe. I've got this under control. And you're remembering, yeah, that's who my parents are. The kind of people that keep me safe. The kind of people that love me and look out for me. That's what this psalm is calling us to do in the midst of our painful waiting, in the midst of going through the darkness. God doesn't just bring on all the lights and and, and answer all of our questions, but he does tell us in his word, I'm with you. I'm here. The waiting is worth it. You can trust me. When you cannot trace his hand, you can always trust God's heart. Now, isn't that, friends, exactly what Christmas is about? Isn't that what Christmas is about? Isn't Christmas the, God's greatest answer to all, all of our laments? For thousands of years leading up to the coming of the Messiah, that question was, how long, O Lord? How long until you send the Savior? How long until these prophecies come true? Do you care about your people? Are you really going to make us wait this long? On and on, the suffering, waiting went until Galatians 4, 4, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. He sent forth that son to be that man of sorrows, to know our griefs, to enter the cave with us, to know the depths of its darkness, but to walk with us through that darkness, to die on a cross, to rise again from the dead, and to give us that promise that there is light on the other side of the tomb. And there is light now for those who know the Savior because he promises he's with us even now. Now, friends, if that was true for the first coming of Christ, isn't that true for the second coming? Right now, we wait for the Savior to come back and oh, it probably wasn't even an hour after he left that some of his disciples started to say, how long? How long is this going to take? We need you back, Lord. We need you back with us. He sends his Holy Spirit to be with them and he says, I'm coming. You can count on it. And until then, you need to know that I'm with you and that the waiting is worth it. Do you believe that? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us to believe that the waiting is worth it. And that even when, even when the darkness doesn't go away, when you don't answer our prayers immediately to take that thick darkness away, you show us the way through. You show us the faithful way. Help us, Lord, to lament. Teach us the way of lament from your Psalms. And Lord, may we not just focus on our pain, but may we look beyond it to you. And may we find in you the hope of forgiveness from sins. Lord, apart from Christ, none of this, none of this can be meaningful. It is only through him that true lament can happen. For it is only through him that our waiting is worth it. It is only through him that our sins are forgiven because of what he's done. Apply to us the merits of his blood. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.